Screenless. The TV drama is imagined. The work and the guests are real. Making a soundtrack. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Opening scene and action. How are you? I am well. How are you? Yes, I too is well. Thank you. Yeah, no news really. No, no, we've not. We haven't been out for a beer and a, another burger. No, my my wife is still going on about me. I'll just do the uh, doot doot quotation marks. Air quotes. Air quotes. Yeah, working on a on a Saturday, which equated <laughs> to going to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was important work. It was very important work, yes, yeah. it was. I'm just, it's, you know, it's just a shame that I can't work every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is coming up on this episode, Dan? Well, we have the marvellous Steve Hughes, who uh, not only is a fabulous director, he's also the king of analogies, interior decorating and baking. Really, really good analogies, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when he's not working, I think it's safe to say that you can find him either at the cinema or watching a box set. Yes, or possibly listening to soundtracks. I mean, what what he doesn't know about film and TV scores is not worth knowing. Yeah, this is a man who is an all-in kind of guy, isn't he? Absolutely. He just dives into that world with a plomb. With a plomb, yeah. (laughs) Where he got the plomb from, we don't know. We forgot to ask him. (laughs) Okay, uh, yeah, enough, enough. Yeah, okay. Um, let's uh, cue the, what is it? Music! <laughs> Yay! Cue the music! Cue the music. Cue the music. Track five. Track five is the second character theme that we have come up with. Yes. We are getting increasingly closer to... The liminal zone. Yes, we are. Where something happens, but that'll be next time. Just as a brief recap then, you created track four, which was the first character theme. I did. Uh, yeah. Which was lovely. We spoke about that in the last episode. So if you haven't heard about that, then maybe go back, uh, get a bit of context. So we were going to create these two things together, weren't we? Yeah. You doing character theme one and me doing character theme two. What we found was that because we didn't know what each other was doing, they weren't connected in any way, which is exactly what we wanted to do. We wanted them to be connected. Yeah, I think the whole point, we we kept talking about mirror image, didn't we? When I heard your track, I immediately thought, wow, that's a good starting point. And I can immediately hear things and maybe, you know, the antithesis, the mirror image of what you were doing. And I thought a, a really good way of approaching that would be to reverse your track if we're going polar opposite. Yeah, a literal version. Yeah. So uh, to test it out, I did exactly that. The structure was there, not just for the rise and fall, but also the chords that you used in track four are E and C sharp minor. Yeah. And so Sorry, nerd alert. Nerd, nerd, nerd. So if you reverse those, it puts it in the relative minor. Way. Which is what we were talking about in the first place when we started talking about doing this. Oh, why don't we do one in the major and one in the relative minor? Exactly. So it all seems to uh, have come together. 
So after that, you provided me with the individual tracks. So I reversed the bass line, I reversed the pads, I reversed a couple of other things to give it that structure. Why don't we just play a, a little bit of that beginning? Cool. Okay, here we go. After that, I put the track together, I added that uh, piano on top, and then moved into the second half, which was less of the just reverse track, but I used elements of yours to keep that feel going. There was some piano in there, wasn't there? There was, yeah. And when I sent it back to you, one of the things that I was concerned about is that it didn't quite sound unsettling enough. So that was your challenge, wasn't it, to unsettle it? Well, yeah, with my track sounding so polite, shall we say, we knew that the other character had to have something that was would jar against it. So, um, mm. yeah, that was my job. So the first thing I did was dirty up the percussion that you'd put on there. Mm. So nerd alert. Nerd, nerd, nerd. I added a load of plugins. <laughs> um, We've got so many nerd alerts. That's two already. See how many we can get into already. one section. Okay, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I did it all in the box. You know what I'm like? I, I like to put things through little silly things I've bought on eBay and stuff. But actually, I did all of this pretty much in the box. And then for the piano, I just wanted something that didn't sound quite right, but it still sounded like a piano. I didn't want it to sound like it was broken or anything like that. So um, I put it through a series of things. There's a bit, of, bit more reverb on there, but one of the things I put on there was an auto-tune plug-in. Mm. I messed with it just so that it kind of glitches a little bit underneath occasionally, but not massively. And then um, a harmonizer as well, just to, to give it some stuff. And it kind of makes it sound a little bit underwatery, which it is... It did, yes. Uh, yeah, we were, we were commenting on this earlier, that we started this whole thing with a drone made from lock water. <laughs> so, so actually, yeah. it ties in very nicely. It does. Yeah. And then uh, it's not um, making a soundtrack track unless it's got the cat on it. <laughs> so the cat bass appeared just yeah. to reinforce the second half, really. I think once I'd done that, there was a little bit of... I just did some minor EQs and mix stuff just to... Yeah. The other thing that I'd included on the first pass was uh, some guitar and I shared my concerns after listening back a few times because we haven't had a guitar in any of the tracks so far. And uh, I was a bit concerned that we were attaching a certain sound, introducing a certain sound, and that would attach itself to this character when, in fact, that wasn't really the intention. So no, what you did uh, very cleverly was to replace that guitar with something else but keeping the same part. I did. So I kept exactly the same part, but as before, when we've been doing stuff and we've been um, sending ideas backwards and forwards, we quite often use a lot of high register stuff, mm. sort of glockenspiels and things like that. 
And uh, we've replaced all of that with this 80s Casio synth I've got that's got a really rubbish piano sound. <laughs> but if you put it through a Roland Space Echo, it just sounds amazing. So we've used that already. And when I was thinking about what, what we're going to do to replace that guitar, we discussed that it needs to be something from the sound world that we're creating. And uh, I just thought, well, that's just perfect. I'll try that. And, and it was in a lower register than we've used before but it still sits really nicely definitely feels like it belongs and it's at home but also it doesn't feel like it's uh obtrusive it's not something that is drawing attention to itself in particular which uh, we wanted to avoid yeah the guitar did just kind of stick it, out it, a little it did bit, yeah it? and it was it was nice there was lots of delay on it it's a nice part but we've ended up with the same notes but something that fits better i think we also had part of your cat sound design that you really mucked up. The the filter sounds ended up with this kind yeah. of screeching, kind of primal screamy fax machine. Yeah, <laughs> I was say, you, you nicknamed it the fax machine, <laughs> yeah. didn't you? Um, I put that in a little bit too much because I liked it. But yeah, quite rightly, you commented that maybe it could go in somewhere, but not everywhere. <laughs> It was a little too jarring. Yeah, yeah. So we've included that in uh, a little bridge rise thing, linking the sections, but uh, taking it out everywhere else. And like I said, it it does have this kind of unsettling primal scream type of effect, I think, which is good. Okay, so why don't we compare the two? Let's compare the two. So that was the bit with the guitar in, and now the bit with the Casio replacement. So yes, definitely uh, less obtrusive and sits much better. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Let's have a little uh, listen to where we're up to then.
right. Next track. Bing. <laughs> Next track. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is I don't think we need to do anything else with this one. I think this one's I think this one's done. It's lovely. It's feel, it just feels like a remix to me because it's obviously it's based on track four, but it's it sounds different but the same. Fantastic. Yeah. So what's next? We need to crack on, don't we? What's the next track? We do need to crack on. The next track is an event. An event. Hey, you know where we've arrived at? You know where we yeah. are, don't you? The Liminal, the liminal Zone. zone. <laughs> <laughs> we almost need a jingle for, for The Liminal we Zone. We do almost need a jingle for The Liminal Zone. In fact, I'm, I'm, I might have a jingle for The Liminal Zone. <laughs> Instead of working on the track. Instead of actually working on the track, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we have arrived there. This is what Andrea Gibb described as the event. Something changes. Yeah. Everything afterwards, the characters are changed. So, um, yeah, how are we going to go about this? I don't know. We've, we started with the location. Mm. So the location one's done. Do we possibly take something from the location? So tie the event to a location or do we... Well, the event, I imagine, would involve the characters. Yes. So we're going to have to take elements from the two character themes. Yeah. The way you've affected character two, the piano, and, and done it in a kind of otherworldly, underwatery kind of way, yep. you've got your, your regular piano for character theme one. So yeah, certainly with the effects that you use, maybe you could have some kind of counterpoint going on, and counterpoint being two melodies that kind of weave in and out of each other. Yeah, Perhaps that could be a good starting point, or certainly an element to use. When you're building it up, yeah. Are we are we gonna are we gonna go for something that just builds, or are we gonna have some sort of shock moment? I think perhaps both. Oh, maybe if you build two, you know, maybe halfway or and the tracks so far have been in two parts almost, haven't they? They've all had this yeah. kind of first half and then something else, an, an A, a and a B. B yeah. yeah. So perhaps if we keep that going. But the event is maybe the character one and character two themes clashing somehow or circling each other somehow. And what did you call it? An explosion or impact. Uh, yeah. They hit each other head on. Yeah, okay. And then you have the <laughs> the aftermath of that. Yeah, well, the, we do have a track called Aftermath, don't we? So We do, yes. So maybe this should just be a, a straight build ending with uh, some kind of impact well we've got what we've got is the liminal zone the liminal zone that's track six yeah track seven is aftermath track eight is build to event okay track nine is event and then track 10 is resolution so i think we just use character one and character two and have circling them each other sparring yeah, yeah. yeah circling do something like that but maybe if they start i don't know you you can see me but listeners can't but uh, I've got my hands far apart, slowly closing in together. So if you have these characters circling each other and getting closer and closer and closer together, ending with whatever impact that you decide, yeah, where they're so close that they're almost indistinguishable. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one, this one, I think. Yeah, really tough. Yeah, lots of beard stroking and tea. Steve is a UK-based director with over 100 episodes of TV drama under his belt. 
He's the lead director on Pandora, an exciting new sci-fi drama for the CW in the US, along with multiple episodes of popular shows such as Creeped Out, Doctor Who, Wolf Blood, Casualty, The Athena, Midsummer Murders, Suspects and Land Girls, and has been second unit director on Strike Back, Killing Eve, The Feed, and most recently, Treadstone, the Jason Bourne spin-off. Welcome to the Making a Soundtrack podcast, Steve Hughes. Good to be here. Great to see you. So let's get started. When did you first start directing and at what point did you seriously consider directing as your career? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm probably like you guys. I'm an obsessive film fan. So I kind of grew up watching movies and always thought that, you know, something like that would be out of my grasp. I mean, I'm a working class guy from the north of England. You know, I, um, I thought that that's what other people did from London. So, you know, I dreamt about doing it, but thought, you know, I was going to end up working as a teacher or a policeman or a stuntman was one of my kind of first kind of uh, things. But, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, I should go for it. So I, um, I went and did a TV production course um, up in uh, Northumberland, which was a uh, an H and D course where we made lots of uh, kind of shorts and programs and things like that. And then one of the shorts that I made uh, won a Royal Television Society Award, and I thought, well, maybe I could do this. So that's when I kind of really seriously con- um, started seriously considering it. But I thought, well, you know, I need a, a day job because they're not going to let me direct a Star Wars movie, you know, straight away. So I thought I'll, uh, you know, I'll learn um, editing. So I learned like a kind of a skill. Um, and that's sort of been my backup career over the years, because working in TV is amazing. But, you know, you do need a sort of a, a backup because it's not a full time job. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of our other guests have mentioned about uh, diversifying and it being basically key to you earning a living. Um, I was just on a mild side note. I was reading something about Patreon the other day because there's a, a lot of this funding the arts and other such stuff and helping people, helping the little guys do what they want to do and stuff. But there's only 2% of all of the people on Patreon actually earn above the minimum wage because it's so difficult. So I think you've got to look at all these things as an add-on to what you do, not a solution. I mean, you know, it's it's a great career and it's an amazing job. And the, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the money is good. But if you're only working kind of six months of a year sometimes, you know, um, and, you know, my wife doesn't work, so I'm the only one who brings money in. So, it, you know, you, ha- you have to sort of sometimes have, have a backup job that will kind of, some people teach, you know, like actors will do yeah. voiceover work. So it's good to have a bit of a backup career as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's also the the bonus discussed in previous episodes of if you diversify in that way, you're going to understand the the whole production process a lot better as well, aren't you? Oh, completely. Yeah, I mean, um, um, editing is like you know fundamental to learning how to be a director because you're when you're shooting, you're editing it in your head. You know what all the building blocks are going to be. You know you you know you know what shots are going to cut together psychologically to kind of tell the story. And also, you know, you don't have um, limitless time when you're shooting, even on some of the bigger productions. You know, everything's still a bit of a rush, so you have to kind of cut your cloth. And when you're an editor, you that teaches you when and how to cut the cloth. So yeah, it's an invaluable skill as an editor, and that it's like you say, it's, it's a good backup as well Mm. so steve what does a typical working day look like for you well when you're on the for a director's life you know you have um when you're working there's kind of three stages you know you have your prep you have your your shoot and then you have post so at the moment i'm currently in kind of slightly gloomy uh cardiff shooting about start shooting casualty we've got our recce tomorrow um where we go out look at the location so tomorrow my day will be that i'll get up at 6 30 i'll walk to the studios then um, we'll meet some of the crew members who i've met before we'll get on a, a bus we'll drive around the different locations uh, talk about 
um, any kind of technical things that kind of come up about lighting. Um, you know, you don't have to be that specific about what your specific shots are, but you know, people want to know, um, you know, where can we light from? Where can we park the bus? Um, you know, do you want, do you want this carpet changing that kind of kind of technical stuff? And then we'll get back to base uh, just after lunchtime. And then we have a production meeting where everyone, all the heads of departments sit around and you uh, work through, you know, any kind of things that come up uh, again, kind of technical things. So there's no hitches during the shoot. And then usually I come home and then I go to the cinema um, or I watch a box set of something. And then when you're doing the shoot, your normal shoot day is kind of eight till seven. Um, so, you know, you get up again about 630 um, and you work till sort of one o'clock. You have an hour's lunch break back on at, at two. You work through till seven and uh, it's a busy day. And then, you know, sometimes during your lunch hour or after you wrap, you might pop into the edit to sort of see how the edit is going. Because you're, you're, as you're shooting, they're a day behind you in the edit. Um, so you get an assembly and you might give them a bit of a steer to sort of say, oh, it might be nice to sort of start the scene on this, or let's lose that moment, use that more of that shot. Um, you know, let, it's always good to let them kind of do a full cut by themselves pretty much, just a bit of a steer. Um, and then I come home and then I go to the cinema or watch a box set. Um, and then when you're in the edit, you go in a little bit later um, because even though there's not tons of time, um, if you've shot um, everything you want and you've got everything needed and there's no kind of glaring problems, then you can go into the edit and usually work from sort of 9.30 till 7.30 and then go home, have a go burger. cinema. Go to the cinema. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the kind of the, the happy little merry-go-round that we live on. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, it is. So obviously being a director, and I know it's different for film than it is for TV, but what is your ideal working relationship with a composer uh, from meeting them through to delivery? Well, as you were saying, you know, it's very different in film because film is a, more of a, a director's medium and TV is more of a producer's medium. So, you know, you're usually brought on quite late in the process and you're not always privy to a lot of those choices on who you get to choose for things. Sometimes you are on a lot of projects I have been. Um, and because I'm a huge film music fan, you know, I'm aware of what composers are around or if we get sent demos for things. Normally, you know, the producers would go out to um, the uh, a composer's agent and um, you know, we get some demos sometimes or we have a conversation with some people. And then um, the, the best working re relationship for me is, you know, they will watch the episode. We will have put a temp score, which I know is a sort of a slightly contentious issue for some composers. But, yeah. you know, for me, um, having kind of such a large film music collection, you know, I can score it kind of quite well. I try and tend to score things with the same composers. So like I did a show called Land Girls, where everything we used was all Thomas Newman because I wanted to feel like it was part of the same vocabulary and then you know you would sort of um, go to the composer's house say in the case of Lang Girls we had the brilliant Debbie Wiseman yeah, and, yeah. We would, and we would go to her house and she, we would talk um, specifics you know a kind of spotting session um, and you know we talk about not necessarily that you want action music here and you want sad music it's the more you learn about the process I mean like actors you know composers respond to what you're trying to get emotionally out of something you know it's you know you want to say you know, we want this music to attack the characters or, you know, we're going to play the loss of this scene. It could be in an action scene, it, you know, it's, it's to get the most dramatic effect and tell the overall story that you're going for. And I think it's probably better for, you know, as you, you know, as, like for yourself, Dan, you know, when I'm sure when you're working with directors that you want someone not to say, let's have two minutes of action music here. You want to sort of someone to say, you know, what you're trying to get from the scene because um, it's, it's, it's much more, you know, all of storytelling is emotional. So, you know, what are you trying to make the audience feel at that point? And then, you know, you then um, have kind of back and forth, you revise kind of cues. And then, you know, on the few occasions where, you know, you get to go to um, where you have an orchestra and you go to a scoring session, then 
that's the best place in the world to be because you know it's like especially for someone like myself like i say who's a big film music fan to sort of hear music um you know especially orchestral music put to something you've shot it feels it's a real northern phrase but it feels proper it feels like you know it's yeah. it feels like it's it's complete it feels like you know it belongs to be part of that pantheon of kind of storytelling so but yeah i i really enjoy working and very close with closely with the composers and that encourage them a lot of the time not not to necessarily kind of copy temp um, scores, but it's there for a sort of a beginning and an end and a feel. But then, you know, then we like to talk about, you know, what's the emotion, what we're trying to get across from it. I think that's key. The earlier on you can be on a project, the better, because like you, Steve, I think quite often we're brought on very late and there's not a great deal of time for developing anything. So you're then relying on your own chops to just be able to pull stuff out of the bag very quickly and get on with it. But if you can get onto a project early and you can have those kind of conversations with directors and producers, and if you're lucky enough, then I think you could... All the stuff that I've done that I've been the proudest of has been the stuff that I've got on really early. Uh, And I've had the time to develop something. I don't know what it's been like for you, Gareth. Yeah, I was just thinking that Steve is absolutely right in the sense that giving broad strokes is way better than actually just trying to get technical. Because actually that's why you hire a composer, isn't it? They have a particular set of skills and they can interpret what you're saying. Sometimes it can get quite confusing if a director is saying or, you know, trying to get too detailed about what the music should be. So it's really nice to have those signposts, but also to give the composer some freedom. And what's great as well as these days, I mean, you know, even with, um, you know, technology these days, you know, you can kind of get a really good sounding score with kind of electronic, you know, instruments. It doesn't, you know, of course, I mean, from you know, being a purist, I mean, an orchestra is the best if that, if that project deserves it, you know, um, you know, some things that you work on need a different kind of sound and, you know, you might want to, you know, something that's kind of quite ethereal and sort of moody and sonic and stuff. But, you know, I suppose I, I, I like music that says something. I like it's when it's it's doing something. It's not just sitting there to sort of, uh, you know, like wallpaper and just starts at the beginning mm. and to the end. Because, you know, the, the importance of music is not just what it's saying, but it's also where it's, you know, where it's not saying anything and where it starts and stops. Um, you know, because it's so important to for it to be doing something. Otherwise, it's just it's like I say, it's just wallpaper. Yeah. I think yeah. the starting and stopping is a very, very good point. I, it's one of the things that I think a lot of composers find the hardest to get right. There, there are obvious points where you can stop, but sometimes starting and just coming in, unless it's a big dramatic moment, obviously, which gives you a, you know, a hit or something to, to really go at, what you want to try and do is sort of creep in underneath it all mm. so that it's not noticed. So that you just come in and then you're enhancing what's going on rather than, uh, you know, someone pressing play on something. And there's the music. Another really important thing for music as well is sometimes, you know, something, you know, we, we need some help in the storytelling. You know, we we want someone to to lead the, the viewer through this a little bit more. You know, we maybe the performances didn't quite land as, you know, exactly how we wanted. And sometimes we do want that emotional push or a dramatic push just to sort of underline something. So, you know, music can kind of do so much. And, you know, I mean, even Casualty that I'm working on now, I mean, um, you know, I've never really had music before. We had um, on the 30th anniversary episode, we, we had like a hundred piece orchestra with a, an amazing composer called uh, Jeremy Holland Smith, who, who just, you know, had this, you know, this massive full blooded kind of score, but still, you know, never kind of bombastic. It was still kind of in keeping with the show. And now there's a, a really good composer on the show called Justine Barker, who I did an episode with recently. Um, and even though we're, we're only have about sort of, um, seven episodes, seven, seven minutes of score in the episodes, you have to use that kind of time wisely. It lifts the show. It makes it feel more contemporary. Um, 
you know, because the score is a, is a color in your palette and that, mm. you know, you can do so much with, you know, kind of camera angles and that kind of stuff. And then sometimes, you know, it really helps to have, you know, just this extra sort of flourish or something that just makes something kind of richer. But like I say, I think it sh- I think music should say something. I hate, you know, even though I like listen to lots of big kind of action music and stuff, you know, you watch, you know, the Fast and the Furious movies, you know, whether you like them or dislike them, but there's music from the, the first frame to the last frame and it's, you get a bit de- desensitized. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's about um, the choices that you make. Yeah, and I was I was just going to say that even in a a whole episode of Casualty, you've only got six seven minutes of score, something like that, because you've got so little, it makes a much bigger impact than if it was just wallpaper. You know, like you say, with some of these big movies and stuff, and and some of the TV shows, you know, there's it's, it's a constant thing. I think fighting. Some composers do fight. Some composers don't i'm a less is more kind of person not because i don't want to score lots of stuff i love scoring lots of different types of stuff but if the music's there all the time it just becomes you zone out to it it just becomes a noise in the background it's 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 a distraction i think you find that producers sometimes worry that the audience aren't getting what your story is so they'll want let's have a cue here that makes them feel uh, afraid or something and you know whereas directors a lot of the time you know would again would rather you know have a little bit less so you have more impact where you actually use it but i've, I've had experiences where producers will literally just put music because they feel that like well the audience won't know that the, they should feel scared here anything well it's a scary you know sequence already you know and the way we've shot it and the build-up and the sound effects and that kind of stuff you don't need another scary music cue but you know on you know something emotional as well that can happen as well but yeah sometimes it's about having confidence in what you've got and that but like also conversely you know sometimes you do need that bit of help so it's it is a sort of a cue by cue episode by Mm. uh, basis yeah we've talked about this quite a lot haven't we dan about the fact that sometimes you can have too much music and actually the power of silence yeah i think it's mozart said the music's not in the notes but in the space in between you know, to have the contrast of having nothing in a scene can make it quite uncomfortable, uh, which could be the feeling that you're going for. You can rely on the sound design a lot more, the foley, and uh, to to build the effect that way. Yes, absolutely. Steve, you've talked about, you know, the collaboration process with the composer. I'm wondering about the collaboration process between you and perhaps the writers and maybe the post-production team. So that that kind of spectrum of people well normally um you know especially on a lot of the shows that i've worked on which aren't were you know even though i've been the lead director on a few shows even when you're the lead director you're still brought in a lot later in the process than people think so you know the analogy i always use is that like you're as a director you're a bit like kind of an interior decorator so the structure's already built and you know you're going to um, decorate a block of flats or a bungalow or a sort of semi-detached house so you can go in there and paint the walls and change the fixtures and put the the sofas in and that kind of stuff but you're never really going to change the structure too much because because you're brought on so late a lot of the time you're there to sort of deliver what's being written so most shows especially the ones i've worked on you have very directors have very little contact with the writers which is a shame because i think kind of the better directors you know you're that you're there to sort of deliver what the, what's required of you you know you don't you're not going in there with your own agenda but sometimes you know you are you, there's a sort of a barrier there where you're sort of kept apart from the writers um, weirdly because maybe because there's not a lot of time and they can't really afford any kind of uh, extra hurdles going in the way but I think that some shows do let you speak to the writers where you know you can kind of you can also speak and say you know what what's the point of the scene what, is, what are the story beats have I missed anything because you know you're you're there to deliver um, you know what the writer has written you know you're not going in there with your own agenda 
And then obviously with the shoot, you're very hands-on. Um, and then with post-production, you have um, an editor that you um, you cut with, and then you know you have several sets of viewings with producers who give you notes. And uh, the majority of those notes um, are really really helpful. You know, there are times sometimes where um, another one of my boring analogies where you like the director being like a chef. So you've you've been given the recipe and you um, which is the script, and you've got the ingredients, which is the cast and crew, and you bake it, which is your shoot, and then you deliver it and say, here's the key lime pie that you've asked me to make. And then sometimes the producer then says, oh, no, I want a steak and kidney pie. And you say, well, I haven't made you that because that's the recipe you've asked me to do. And they'll say, well, just scoop out all of the the, the lime and all the nice stuff and let's make, let's pile on all this kind of uh, savory stuff. And you think, well, that's going to taste terrible. Um, but So sometimes when you see stuff go out and you think, well, that wasn't that great, sometimes it isn't the director's fault. It's possibly because there's been a change in tone or they've decided they want to go a different way on something and that's, something gets you know delivered that's not the way you've shot it you know you, you, you've you've shot it and it's being cut in a certain way and then it gets you know i'm sure for like you you know when you when you've been asked to write music you know it, things change at certain things and that's fine you know it's still part of a process and i think you've got to have a, a, a thick skin and it's not personal but then you know then the, the after you've finished giving you know doing the notes then you um you either kind of give paper notes about the grade and the sound mix and then on some shows you get to come back and review stuff um, and uh, on all the shows I've done, um, I did a, a sound dub review on um, on uh, Casualty for the last episode I did. Um, and, you know, you watch through the episode and, you know, I like to sort of watch a scene and then you review a scene and you say the atmos is a bit loud there or couldn't quite hear that line there or the music's a bit too quiet. Um, and it is just it's a sort of a process. And it's really it's really freaky because you know, you're in this kind of amazing kind of sound room with all these kind of great speakers and then you watch it through like a kind of a domestic tv because it's, that's the way it's going to sound at home so you know you're not going to hear it in this kind of dolby you know thx surround sound mm-hmm. thing you're, you're watching it through a, a nice kind of domestic tv thing and that you know because you want to be able to hear it the way people are here at home so you know i really enjoy the process because i think because i started out as an editor you know i do enjoy the technical side of things and that's you know you you can articulate what you want uh, quite well because um, you know, you've um, you've gathered all the ingredients and you've put it all together, and now you're there to sort of just to make sure that technically, you know, it's everything's clear. Yeah, I think just jumping on the the whole sound mix and everything, I think my favourite part of the process is the dub. You know, there there have been a couple of times where you know it's oh actually do you know what we don't need this piece of music and it's been one of my favourite ones that I've written or whatever, but it, it's always been right. You know, they've taken it out and have gone oh do you know what yeah. Yeah. He doesn't need it. But um, I, yeah, the dub is just, uh, that's just magic. I love that. I love where everything comes together. You've got the picture, you've got the sound, you've heard what the guys and gals have done in the sound department. There's all these amazing atmoses and stuff and, yeah. and special effects and, uh, you know, and then the grade, because you've, as a composer, you get a cut and the cut is always, I think we've mentioned this before as well, Gareth, you know, you don't get any of the VFX or anything like that. Right. So I remember scoring one episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures with Sam and there's this grey blob moving across the screen like that. And it was kind of, you know, that was supposed to be attacking someone and it was just this grey blob. And then there'd be like this, Ta-da! they wanted some sort of, you know, real sort of shock moment and it was just... And it was just, it was literally just a grey blob like that. And it's kind of, okay. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I I love all that. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, because we're all creative people and we all have to use our imagination and you, you know, and technology is so amazing these days with computers and what people can do, you know, but when you're, and it's like when you're shooting it, it feels very silly. You know, when you're sort of, you, you know, there's a monster here and look over <laughs> here and, and, you know, and you have to sort of articulate it, you know, and it's, 
um, you know, it, it, it can be kind of feel very silly when you're doing it, but when you actually see the finished process and with the dub and the grade and that kind of stuff, you know, you sit back and you think, wow, that that's yeah. all came together exactly how I hoped. It also speaks to the collaborative process, doesn't it? That you're just trusting people to make the best of their job. Yeah, completely. I mean, I mean, it, the whole process should be collaborative. I mean, I don't believe in that a director should be a dictator. I think, you know, you're there to sort of be, yeah, you're the, the, the captain of the, uh, you know, you're flying the airplane, but, you know, you've got all, all, you know, people on the ground, you've got people working there, you know, every sort of step of the way, you can't do it all by yourself. And I think, you know, a good idea is a good idea wherever it comes from. And, you know, I always encourage everybody, you know, like if, you know, if you see something that's not quite working, you know, then let me know. And I'm, I might not always take their ideas, you know, most of the time I do, but, you know, if a, if an operator, a camera operator sort of offers a sort of a really cool shot, you know, you might think, well, that's great. I'll use that. Sometimes they'll offer you a really cool shot and you think it's a lovely shot, but in my head, I, I, there's nowhere I know where I can use that in that sequence because it will just pop out because it's it's not telling the story what we're, what the scene's about. So, you know, you say, thanks very much, you know, but, you know, maybe we won't do it. Or sometimes, you know, you do humor people and you shoot it and you don't put it in the edit. But, you know, we're all people and we're all emotional people. And I think it's good to be, um, you know, open to people and be honest. But, you know, um, we, we, you know, no one wants to hear that they, their ideas aren't very good. So I think it's, you know, you, you've, you've got to be able to sort of uh, work with people as well as being creative and technical. I think, you know, you have to sort of, you know, you don't want to be a pushover, but you also, you know, you don't want people to fear you. I mean, you hear, I've heard so many stories of, you know, directors who shout and scream and have tantrums and people sort of say, oh, you know, they, they prefer a, a, um, the, the, the sense of, uh, of tension on set. And I just don't believe in that. I, I, I you know, I, I make cakes, I, um, I do quizzes, you know, I, I let Bruce swap around and do a sort of a shot swap, you know, where we, everyone has a go on to everybody's jobs and you learn a little bit about everybody's jobs because, you know, we're all really lucky to be doing this. I mean, we're all, you know, feel so lucky to be able to do this, you know, from coming from very kind of humble beginnings and that's, I've been doing it for 15 years and I still get a, a kick out of it. And even when it's, things are going wrong and it's, and it's stressful, it's still the best job to do in the world. Your yeah. set sounds awesome. Oh, they, they are, honestly. I mean, I, you know, not, not to sound, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm a humble guy, but I, I'm famous for having kind of a very nice atmosphere on set because, you know, you sort of, like I said, it's, it's a collaboration and, and that's the way it should be. That's oh, just really, really nice to hear, isn't it? It is, yeah, but we we have spoken before about um, how you're just a kind of everybody's just a cog in a wheel. The machine itself has got to function, and mm. people people have got to be able to work with you. So if you set up a nice atmosphere, I'd personally much prefer. You know, if if I was working on set, I'd much prefer to walk in and be able to everyone be comfortable, but then get down to work rather than walk in and think, oh, geez, what's going to happen next? Mm. I better not. I better not mess up. You know. Yeah, because I mean, you you know, I think actors especially, you know, again, the, the, you know, the most brittle kind of people and they they want to know that they're in a safe pair of hands, um, you know, and, and surely they want to impress you. They don't want to be sort of scared that, you know, if they get something wrong, you're going to come in and scream at them. That's not going to get the right response. I mean, you know, yeah, I've worked with actors where things haven't worked out, where, you know, you've had to go in and sort of speak to them and, you know, you've had to go again and again and get what you need out of them. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not possible, you know, either this, you know, we can't, we can't win every battle, you know, you do the best you can in the time you have, because it's not a, you know, like I said a bit earlier, you know, you don't have an unlimited amount of time, you know, you have to do the best you can in the time you have. And, and that's, you know, post-production is wonderful because you can fix a lot of problems in there. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely the best feeling to be part of a collaborative team. Last but not least, what advice would you give to your younger self or to other aspiring directors or anyone thinking about getting into the industry? I think for my giving my advice to myself, I'd say 
you know, I mean, I, I think I'm quite an ambitious person, but um, I think, you know, I, I temper that with being kind of quite humble and easygoing in that I think I could have pushed myself a bit harder when I was younger. I was afraid that, oh, I'm a I'm from Wigan. Nobody's going to take a, a director straight from Wigan, you know. So I, I deliberately, you know, I didn't aim as high as what I could have done. And, you know, I was, even though I was confident in my abilities, I, I, I you know, I always thought I, I knew what I was doing, but I, I thought that because of where I was from, um, that people would judge, you know, well, you're not from London, especially when I was starting out. Things were kind of different now. You know, there's a much bigger kind of um, um, grid for the way people, you know, people that work, you know, things happen all over. I think I, I would tell myself not to sort of, you know, to, to, to push myself harder. Like I'm, you know, finally finishing a, a film script after years and that, you know, my friends always said to me, you know, you could have, you know, you could be making a movie by now, but, but because I've been very cautious, maybe I've been a bit overcautious about things. You know, I, I, you know, my feature script, I don't want to send it out to anybody until I think it's perfect when it doesn't really matter. People want to read a script, whether it's, you know, there's going to be rewrites, things are going to change, but because it's my first script, I'm extra, extra cautious and that I wish I, ha- I wasn't, I didn't have that kind of quality is that, um, yeah, I, I, sh- I could have pushed myself a bit further. Um, and then for advice for the people is that, you know, now is an amazing time um, to sort of for, the, for the industry and there's much more diversity, uh, which is an amazing thing and, and long overdue. Um, you know, you, you don't need all this kind of equipment and the cameras and, you know, you can shoot things with your phone. I mean, this is advice that everyone gives, but it's completely true. You know, you can get your work out there, you know, so much more easily than you could back when I was younger. And that's, you know, you can send, you can you know get chatting to people on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, it is a good thing to build up a relationship with someone online and on social media because, I've got jobs with producers, you know, um, because I've got had a conversation with them over a year, little bits and bobs. And then, you know, they might, you know, you might mention something and they might say, oh, we'll in a message you privately and say, you know, we're looking for a director for this. So it's good to sort of, you know, maintain those relationships with people online. But also you've got to be aware that sometimes, you know, that that door closes and that, you know, you don't want to keep pushing yourself when, you know, someone isn't interested because, you know, I mean, I, I watch things that people send me and actors reels and that kind of stuff. And I always give them, I give everybody feedback. I watch everything that people send me, but, you know, I'm not promising anybody any jobs. It's like, you know, if people send me some music, you know, I, I'm not going to suddenly say, well, yeah, you're hired for the next job. But when we're looking, if we're, if we're on a job where we're looking for a composer, um, and that person is one of the four or five people that I've been chatting to online, they've already got a kind of tick because you think, well, well, I know I could work with that person, um, you know, or I've heard some of their stuff. So um, I think people have to be sort of realistic about what you can get from having contact with social media, but it's a massive advantage. It's, you know, you, you have got to be persistent. You know, my, some of my friends who wanted to work with, uh, you know, do the same things as what I was doing, have, have kind of fallen by the wayside because they they thought that it would happen sooner than what they thought that they wanted it to. So they sort of gave up and had kind of normal jobs and that's, you know, you can get there, but, you know, it takes persistence. It takes time and that's, you know, you, you, you can't quit. And that's, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff about following your dreams. And if you, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, you know, you've got to kind of pursue it, but you know, not all of us are going to be Steven Spielberg, not all of us with John Williams, you know, I think as long as you can kind of make a living and sort of get what you want out of it, then, you know, then you're a success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot of people that um, try these things and they do get frustrated with how long it takes to get anywhere with things. But the way I look at it is that I'm very lucky to be earning a living from doing what I love, which is creating music. Now, if I wasn't earning enough for a living, I'd still be creating music because it's what I love. So I'd still be doing it, but I'd be doing it in my spare time rather than doing it as a job. So if you're going to be doing it anyway, then you may as well be doing it and putting it out there, regardless of whether you're getting anything or not, because 
that's the only way you're ever going to get found, discovered. Uh, I think an obvious one recently is Stranger Things. You know, the guys there, they're in this band. They've been going for, I don't know how long they've been going for, quite a while. And it just so happened that the Duffer Brothers had heard their stuff and tempt the uh, mood reel with their music. Hey, presto, boom. Now those two guys, not only have they got their band, which has had a massive bump, you know, lots of people now know about Survive when they didn't before, but also they're getting all sorts of offers to do all sorts of TV shows. And so, you know, it's win-win. And they, they've been plugging at it as a second job, essentially, for years before anything came of it. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it does take a lot of luck as well because, you know, there are, there are amazingly talented directors and composers and cinematographers who are massively talented but haven't had that break because they weren't in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's heartbreaking because people take it personally and, and you know, um, you think, well, am I not good enough? Well, it, it is, there's just so much luck and it's people shouldn't take things kind of personally. It's like, you know, you all you can do is the best you can do. You can't affect the way other people um, are going to react to things. So, yeah. you know, people you know, shouldn't be so hard on themselves. And also what you're saying about the social media networking, I think that applies to networking in general, doesn't it? People tend to, you know, if they go to a networking event, they might assume that actually they'll get a phone call the next day because they've handed someone a business card and had a great conversation. And actually what you're doing is by handing over your business card and having a great conversation is you're saying maybe in a couple of years' time, that person might be in a room going, oh, I know who could do that. And so you've just got to start those relationships and get to know people and be that person who is going to be good to work with. You, know, you, you could be at one of these networking things and then the next day a composer could drop out or the, the next yeah. day discussing composers and you say, well, I met someone who was really interesting last night and I like their ideas. You know, it, it's about luck. You know, you, that doesn't mean that composer who met them is any better or worse. I mean, I, I don't feel like I'm that different a director than when I first started out. But, you know, now you, I have a bigger canvas and, you know, you work on things with better scripts and, you know, better collaborators. But, you know, I, you know I've learned different technical skills and, you know, working with actors and stuff. But, you know, my kind of passions and, and taste has never really changed, you know. So, you know, it's, it's not like I've, uh, you know, you, you learn some technical things, but, you know, you, I'm still the same person I was when I first started out. So, you know, it, it's tough um, for people when, when they are starting out, you know, but we, we all started out and that some people are going to make it, some people aren't. And that, you know, you're going to try your absolute damnness to kind of get there. But it is, you know, going back to the start, it is good to sort of have a backup as well. Mm, absolutely. Steve Hughes, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been fantastic to hear your insights and your experiences. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to talk to you guys, and uh, maybe we'll be uh, collaborating in the future. <laughs> well, hey, you know where we are. Well, that was a wonderful interview from Steve, wasn't it? It was. What a knowledgeable chap he is. I hope he finds his plum soon. I'm sure the plum is close by at all times. Anyway, there was a tweet from last week's guest, actually, your brother, yeah, Sam Watts. And he said, catching up on making a soundtrack, just listen to the Noon With A Tune episode. What a great interview. So proud of how far Tristan has come since I first met him. Hard working and super lovely. Definitely the right attitude for working in TV and film and for life in general. I think Sam's absolutely right there, isn't he? Spot on. Well, I had a message from Michael who just said, I've saved up the podcast to listen on a drive up to Edinburgh. Just brilliant. Very inspiring. 
Sam and Noon were ace. Well, that's a very nice thing to say as well. It is a very nice thing to say, isn't it? Keep them coming, people. Yes, keep them coming. We've got some lovely, lovely feedback so far, so thank you very much. Feed our egos. (laughs) No, it's not about us. No, that's true. It's about me. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, is that a wrap? That's a wrap. That's a wrap. How do you find us? Makingasoundtrack.com will tell you all you need to know. Links to the podcast, social media links, and there's information about us as well. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would make our day if you could give us a positive rating or review. Or possibly, you know, connect via social media. Always nice. And if you enjoy this episode, hit that share button and recommend it to someone. They'll thank you for it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. 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 It's all getting a bit Stephen Toast. Bye. 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 Thanks.